Welcome to Calvary Chapel in the city, Sunday morning service. Okay, Luke chapter 22. We are in verse 15, rather verse 14. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now also a dispute among them as to which of them should be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, meaning they just control them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you, as the one who serves. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will just turn our hearts upside down this morning as we get into this really, really radical teaching of our Lord. And we pray this in his, your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So right here in Luke chapter 22, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He'll be crucified the following morning. Jesus is just a few hours here from being arrested, and he knows what is coming, which is why it makes it, at least to me, it's so remarkable what he says there in verse 15. He says this. He says in verse 15, let's go through these verses. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire. 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is his last supper. That's what this is. You could say the first communion or the last supper. And this verse, it's, it's a great picture into what Jesus' relationship with his disciples was like. It says, with fervent desire, I've decided to, to eat this meal with you. A literal translation is, with desire, I have desired. Which is another, it's in the Greek, it's the way of saying, you guys have no idea how much I have wanted to spend this time with you. You guys have no desire. No, rather, no idea of how much I've desired to be here this one last time with you. Now, many of you grew up in churches where God was presented in such a way that he was just so distant, so out there, so disconnected with God. I know because I grew up in one of those churches. And, 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 but notice, Jesus so connected with these guys. He's so connected with them. Sometimes we get this picture of, of Jesus and his disciples. That, you know, disciples never got too close to Jesus, but they sort of just, you know, hovered around. Hmm, what's he going to do next? Ooh. Don't talk too loud. Yeah, you know, this type of thing. You know, we, we get this idea that that's what Jesus was like. But no, he was tight uh, with these guys. It says, with fervent desire, I have desired to have this last meal with you. Verse 16 says, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the last supper uh, Jesus had with them was the Passover meal. What's the Passover meal? It is when you chow down on roasted lamb. That's what it was. Sometimes we get this idea of the last supper. It's this like, you know, 12 hermits, you know, usually they, uh, uh, 12 hermits and Jesus, usually they have bread and water, but they just went up a little bit and had wine here. But no, these guys, it was, it was a feast. It was the Passover feast. And it was a celebration. It wasn't a solemn thing. Oh, Jesus is going to Jesus is going to die. No, this was a feast. They were actually commanded to rejoice at this feast. That's what was going on. We have all these religious ideas about the Bible. That's why we read the Bible, to find out that a lot of the things we, we thought were, are, are not true at all. The Passover, every Jewish male required to go to Jerusalem every year to celebrate it. A lamb was slaughtered, and it was in remembrance of how the lamb was slaughtered on the night before Israel escaped from slavery in Egypt the blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost of every Jewish home, protecting it from God's judgment. And Jesus said, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, meaning his blood, which poured out on the cross, saves us from the bondage of slavery. Just as the, the Jews in Egypt were enslaved, so are we apart from Giving our heart over to Jesus, we're enslaved to our own desires, but also it saved them from 
judgment. And so fascinating how Jesus himself, John the Baptist, introduces him to the world as the Lamb of God. He's saying here that he will fulfill the Passover feast. Verse 17, it says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. He gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So let's just focus on that for a second here. This is my body that was given for you. This is my body that was given for you. In the Old Testament, a man or woman would give a lamb to the priest to be put to death for their sins. Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, the, the Bible says most, one of the most Common verses we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his son. But then it says the son, Jesus, gave his body to you. God gave his son to the world. Then the son gave his body to you, to you and me. This is my body which is given for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Meaning he's sharing the bread and when you say when you eat the bread, do it in remembrance of me. Now, really simple here. Really simple. Notice how he's not saying, remember yourselves. Do this in remembrance of you. Sometimes we need to get really simple. What does it say? Do this in remembrance of me, not you. The whole Bible from cover to cover is... Uh, a testimony of God is trying to get us not to look at, get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. Look, we spend enough time thinking about ourselves. And, and he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, I really want to take some time to reflect and remember all the good things I've done for God and how much I deserve to be in his presence. no. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20 says, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. When you take the cup and you drink it as often as you do, Remember me, remember my blood that was given to you. That's what he is saying. You were purchased by Jesus' blood. You are blood bought, not with money. God paid for you, but not with money. Not with gold. 
Not with a piece of land. Well, I really, you know, I, I, I like that Pastor Scott. I'm going to give him, I'm going to pay for him with the, you know, country of Australia. No. But with the, the blood of God, you were purchased. So what is it about the blood? What is it about it? 1 John 1, 7 says this. 1 John 1, 7 the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We can't get into heaven still carrying our sin. And we get a problem because once we sin, once we rebel, bell against God, even when we violate one law of God, there's nothing we can do to get the record of that out. It's in. It come, gets into our body, into our life, and it rests around there and causes death, the Bible says. Sin causes death. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Now, I just want to go back to this. He says, my blood is shed for you. My, I, I get, he's saying, my blood, he, I, I'm giving my blood to you. I give my body to you. My body is given to you. I'm giving it to you, and I'm giving my blood to you. Now, this may sound a little strange, but if Jesus gives his blood, it means you have to what? Accept it. What else? You got to take it. Sounds strange, doesn't it? You do. You have to accept it. You have to receive it. You have to, you got to take it. And that sounds a little strange, but, but you need to take it, what, by faith, just as the disciples did here. I mean, Jesus, he's saying, I'm giving you my blood. And he's not saying, okay, you hear some of my blood, you know. <laughs> you know he's not even, there's no blood on him yet, but uh, he's not like giving it out to John. Here, Peter, take some. Here, John, take some. Andrew, here, have some of my blood. You know, you're across the table, you know, the, whatever. It's not what happened. The Bible says we, we, we accept, we take the blood. He says, I give you the blood, we take it. By faith is what the Bible says. And again, just as the, in the Passover, in the Old Testament Egypt, where the Jews take the blood, they put it over their, uh, the door of their home so that judgment passes over it, so today a man or woman must take the blood by faith because of their sin or in order for their sin to be cleansed. You take the blood by faith. The blood of Jesus clenches us. If you're familiar with the word purge, purges sin. It cleanses sin. It doesn't just cover it. It purges you. It, it eliminates it from you. It, it is, is, is the idea. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, which means if you have taken that blood by faith, it means every day when you wake up is a new day. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. You have a clean slate. 
If you're here this morning and, and you just really messed up ugly yesterday, if you have by faith taken the blood, the Bible says, you have a clean slate. You have a completely clean slate. Always important, of course, to ask for forgiveness, remembering what the blood of Jesus did for you. But today is always a new day with new life and fresh power. No rap sheet, just a blank page that has two words on it, blood bought. That's what this is about here. This is like a heavy chapter in the Bible. It really is. Jesus is saying, he's giving them the cup of wine and saying, you drink this in remembrance of me. Verse 21. Right in the middle of all this, this is what, uh, what else is going on. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe, meaning woe, to that man by whom he is betrayed. He's he's speaking about Judas here. We saw at the beginning of this chapter, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. We've been going chapter by chapter through Luke. The beginning of this chapter, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Now that word betrayed, it's a lot different than the word denied. Well, Peter's going to deny Jesus. But denial and betrayal, completely different things. When, when the, the word betrayed here means you've gone from being a friend to an enemy. Judas has gone already at this point and he's gone to the enemy and essentially he became one of them. He plotted to kill Jesus. He's part of the plot, this guy, to kill Jesus. Now, I could go many different places with that, but the thing I really want you to consider, really, 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 I want you to let this sink in. Jesus' statement where we began today in verse 15, he said with fervent Desire, I have desired to be with you. You don't know how much I wanted to spend this last time with you. And listen, the fact that Judas was there, it didn't spoil the moment. It didn't spoil the feast. It didn't, it, it, it didn't spoil the party. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus loved him. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. That wasn't just some nice sounding gobbledygook. He lived it. He actually did that. And, And he calls you and I to do the very same thing. Some of you this morning, you got someone in your life treating you like an enemy. Some of you, that person's in your own home. They're at your work or wherever. You got a person treating you like an enemy. 
Well, guess what? Here's what your response must be. Not should, must. Love. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Scott was talking to me recently. He said something uh, really profound. He said, it's amazing how much counseling that we do here it just gets down to one thing. Love your enemy. So, so you know, Jesus with, says with fervor, I have so much wanted to spend this last time with you. That's what we're called for. You know, I, I, every once in a while, I, there's, there's someone who's, who, you know, who's coming to church who they take up issues with me. They don't like me. They're coming against me. It's hard for me to enjoy when I know there's even one room, even a room with a lot of people where there's someone like that. That's not what love looks like. It doesn't spoil the moment if you're in that place of love. Now, how do we get there, by the way? A little a more on that a little later, but let's go on right now. Verse 23 says, Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So he said, my betrayer's at this table. And notice here, uh, Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. You don't see the disciples all looking at Judas. We knew it eventually. Judas, we knew you would be, we know it's you. No, you don't have that going on, not at all. In Matthew and Mark, we actually read at this point, the disciples wondered aloud, is it me? Is it me? Judas had played the part of the disciple really good. Let me tell you, there's a little, there's a little of Judas and every single one of us playing the part when we show up to church. A little different when we're in the subway being put, or with our face being pushed up into the window. <laughs> but let me tell you, we can take something from this though, it, particularly the piece in Matthew and Mark. You know, we can take something from the disciples and learn from them. Lord, is it me? Am I playing with the, am I playing the enemy? Am I acting like an enemy of you or or your word in my life? Now you didn't see Judas asking that question, but the other 11 were, were sincerely asking that. So important that we're real with God. If you ask that, he'll answer you. He's not going to keep you in a guessing game. There's so many people that, you know, I talk to them and they're like, I don't know, there's like some hidden thing. No. I think, believe, Pastor Scott mentioned this last week in a sermon. He will tell you. Actually, he does even answer their question in the book of Matthew, although they, they, they wouldn't really, they, they didn't really hear the answer. Why? Because they started arguing amongst each other. Next verse. Verse 24. Now there was also a dispute, meaning an argument among them, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. 
There was an argument among them as to which of them was the greatest. Now, you may be thinking, how could they in a time like this? You know, how could they be doing that? Don't do that. Take a step back. Just reflect on this. Because listen, this is exactly what is in all of us. We have this thing. It's called sin in all of us, which wants to take, 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 grab, grab, grab. In the Proverbs, it says the leech. It just says it has two daughters. They're both named give me, give me, give me, give me. It's a description of us. We have this same thing and it, which wants to, to, to be seen, which wants to be recognized, which wants a piece of glory that only belongs to God. Verse 24, again. Now there was a dispute and argument among them as to which was the greatest. You know, in my natural man, I'm a really self-centered guy. I'm a really self-centered man. I am. Some of you are thinking, well, that may describe him, but it doesn't describe me. Oh, really? Well, let me ask you a question. Someone gives you a photograph of a group of people, and you, you're one of the people in the group. Who's the first person you look at? Yeah, I gotcha. You see? You say, me? I always think of, I always think of others first. Oh, really? So last time you were in a, a grocery line at Stop and Shop, and after a minute, the, you realize the, uh, the, your line is twice as long as every other line. What are you thinking? Oh, I'm so blessed that I chose this line. Because now my long is longer and everyone else is shorter. That means they don't have to wait so long. What a blessing. I'm so glad to get... No, no, you're not saying that. You're like, why did I get into this line? Why did I? Ah... Then you move to the other line, and all of a sudden, that gets the longest line. Ah, oh, yeah, see? It's in all of us. Listen, that's why we need the blood. The blood is not a popular thing to talk about today. There are Christian pastors and theologians who say that is a thing of the past. That is a primitive thing that came from, you know, ancient Christianity. No. We need the blood as much in 2013 as we have ever since Adam and Eve bit that piece of fruit. We need the blood. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be the greatest. So some of you may be thinking after you read that, wow, oh man, is Jesus going to give it to them? Who do they have it coming? Ah. Well, you know, our problem is we don't understand grace. 
Our problem is we don't understand how much God loves us. Our problem is we don't understand how much he suffers long with us, loving us the whole way. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't give it to them. Please turn quickly to the book of John, chapter 13. I'm going to tell you what he does. Now, John and Luke need to be read together. Uh, John is just a few pages really to the right. Um, and uh, I want you to turn to, to chapter 13 in your Bibles. John chapter 13 in your Bibles. And these two accounts, it's good to read them together. We can't be sure, but I believe this is what happened after this this argument broke out. It says there in verse 2 of John 13, it says, And supper being ended, the devil, having been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, we saw that at the beginning of Luke 22, Verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going to God, rose from supper. So so supper had ended. Laid aside his garments. He took his garments aside, his outer garment, and he would have sort of a loincloth, nothing but a loincloth at this point. He took a towel And he girded himself, meaning he got ready. And after that, he poured water into a basin, a bowl, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So I'm sorry, the towel is actually keeping his uh, part of his garment together. Verse 6 says, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him saying, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. To which Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So uh, you see, um, after this happens here, uh, uh, Jesus, he, he does this really, this incredible thing here where he, uh, he, he this argument breaks out and uh, he, he doesn't rebuke them. I, I believe at this point, doesn't even challenge him challenge them, he gets up and he washes their feet. Now that would have happened normally in a house where the lowest of the low servant who was in the house would have done that. Jesus is making a statement here. He's making a statement here about who is the greatest. Now turn back to Luke uh, 22 and, and, and let's pick up what, you know, some of the things that, that he, how he responded uh, to them, Luke, back in Luke 22, he says in verse 25, <clears throat> he said to them, they're, they're in this argument. He had just got finished, I believe, at this point, cleaning their feet, the grime off their toes. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Meaning, 
You guys want to be like the world, the Gentiles? It's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a word, a, a, a term here used just for the world out there. In the world out there, as you sort of go up in the ladder in greatness, what they do out there is, is they exercise control over the people. They exercise control over them. And continue on here. It says, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, meaning they put these nice names. I don't know what the president of Korea, North Korea calls himself. It's something like loving father or something. They put these, they, they, they put these uh, titles over themselves that are really nice, but it's all about control. It's all about being served. It's all about what people can do for me. It's all about I'm in a position now, and now it's my time to enjoy it. But then in verse 26, he says, but not so among you. Not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And we grew up thinking, well, we're the younger brother or whatever. The older is better. No, you, know, you be as the younger. This is the point here. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. This is who you are. Notice how in verse 26 he says, but not so among you. He doesn't say, well, you know, you really shouldn't be like the world who, you know, the higher you get, the, you know, the more you sort of exercise your power. No, he says, that's not who you are. The Bible says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation with a new lifestyle and a new set of commands on your life. Back in verse 19, let's just go back to the, that Lord's Supper. He says he took the bread... He broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed or given for you. Now, listen. The blood... The blood, the Bible teaches, not only cleanses us from our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only, the Bible says, freed us from the punishment of our sin, but he also freed us from the power of sin so that we'll live a completely different life. Verse 26 says, not so among you, you are a servant. You're a servant. No matter how much you, you, you climb up the ladder, you're a servant, and you better remember who you are. 
you know, so often we'll try to convince ourselves that we're, we're people who we are not. All the time. Sometimes we try to convince ourselves we're someone who we're not. But then we go on from there. We try to convince God that we're someone who we're not. Lord, I, I'm the pastor. Why should I have to get up at five in the morning and go to the airport to pick up this person? Lord, I'm the pastor. Why should I have to help this person move their furniture? Well, I'm the pastor. Why should I have to get on my rear end and help out at nursery when there's an opening? Steve, you're not a pastor. You're a servant. You're a servant of servants. Wake up. Verse 26 says, not so with you. You're not that person anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. I love this. I love this verse. When I was out in, in the workforce and someone, we had a goodbye party for someone and they would they would pass around a card for me to sign. I would actually write out this verse. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Guess what? Your life is not about you. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want to close this morning with communion. If the worship team could come up and if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up now. This is a heavy message and sometimes when we hear a message like this, we feel, ah, I fall so short of this, but that's never God's intention. It's never his intention to do that. It's, this word is meant to build you up. The key is this, which is where we began with this morning. Jesus said, take this bread, eat it, do it in remembrance of me. I, it's give, it's my, it represents my body, which was given for you. And then he said, this cup of wine, this represents my blood. And I give my blood to you. And guess what? What communion represents is that we have a blank slate. If you have never in your life come to the Lord and by faith receive that blood. That, that may sound strange, but that's what the Bible says man must do. Speaking of must, coming to God and giving your life to Jesus Christ is not a should, you should do thing. It's a must. The Bible says in the book of Acts, Paul says, Every man and woman in this world is commanded to believe and repent. It's a choice. Believing is a choice. I held back for many years believing because I knew what it meant. 
And because I feared that, oh my goodness, if I give up my life, I, I'm, you know, who knows what I'm going to be missing out on. Oh, is that a lie? It's the abundant life. It's the life filled with power. If you've never in your life put your faith in the blood, taken it, appropriate it for yourself, put it over your home, like the, the, the Jews did in, in, in Egypt. Come up and pray during this closing song now or this communion song as the worship team begins. Or if there's anything here in that we've shared this morning from the word where it's just stirred you up, you know, I, I need prayer for this because loving a Judas who's in my life Oh, impossible. The Bible says that's what we're here for. That's why we are, uh, that's why we're, we're not allowed to live by ourselves off on the island. We need to come off the island into the body of Christ, into the family of God, where we ask for prayer because guess what? We need the grace of God. We need each other to pray for each other, to, to, to have the grace to forgive. Or if you just like prayer for, wow. Serving. Being a servant, wherever you are in, in, in your life. Come up for prayer if there's anything else, any other burden, anything that you want to, uh, to get off your chest and just pray through before we have the communion service come up. In the back, there are tables of, with uh, some bread and uh, some cups there. As the worship team begins, just at your leisure, you can go back and pick up a cup, get a piece of bread, return to your seats. We'll have communion together. But until then, the worship team's going uh, gonna, gonna to play now. And if you'd like prayer, please come up.